Hi, this is Will Gethin. Welcome to the third episode of Series 2 of the Folio Blisters podcast. In this episode, I talk with Maureen Murdoch, a Jungian psychotherapist and author of the groundbreaking bestseller, The Heroine's Journey, as well as Father's Daughters and other books, whose work explores the mysteries of the psyche, a fascination with mythology, and a love of storytelling and memoir writing. In this conversation, Maureen introduces her Heroine's Journey model, which she created to represent the psycho-spiritual development of women that she felt was overlooked by Joseph Campbell's Hero's Journey framework. She also explores her own lived experience of travelling through the ten stages of the heroine's journey, including her mythic journey of descent to the underworld. I hope you enjoy the journey. Good morning, Maureen. Good morning, Will. I, I say good morning. I mean, it's uh, actually afternoon here, but um, you're over in California, where I believe it's about seven, well, probably about just past eight o'clock. That's right. It's five after eight. Great. So to date, we've been working with five condensed stages of Joseph Campbell's Hero's Journey model on this podcast. And today we're going to try something a little bit different, as you are, of course, the author of The Heroine's Journey, Women's right. Quest for Wholeness, which provides a map for women for the heroic journey designed to better encompass and describe the psycho-spiritual journey of women. Right. So for this conversation, we're going to be hearing about your own personal heroine's journey while traveling through the 10 stages that you've created for your heroine's journey model. And I'll just give a little brief introduction to the book before asking you to uh, say more. It was first published in 1990, and you recently published a 30th anniversary edition uh, a couple of years ago. And it was written in response to Campbell's Hero's Journey map. Um, right. And your book draws on cultural myths and fairy tales and ancient symbols and goddesses and the dreams of contemporary women. And it illustrate, illustrates the need for a greater emphasis on feminine values in Western culture today. That's it's, right. It's published in 15 languages and read by women all over the world who are using this model for their own psycho-spiritual development. So Maureen, do you want to start by explaining how this book and your heroine's journey model came about and perhaps you could then give me a quick introduction to the stages of the journey sure um thank you thank you yeah thank you will for inviting me on your podcast um well to give you the the to give you the history of it joseph campbell used to come out to southern california in the late 70s early 80s um to teach for extended weekends at what was then called the Human Relations Institute in Santa Barbara, um, which is now called Pacifica Graduate Institute. Anyway, when he would come out from New York to share those weekends with us, I was uh, his assistant, meaning I always started uh, or uh, created a guided imagery or meditation before his lectures and so we got to know each other fairly well oh okay that's interesting i didn't realize he did that okay yeah i was using his model of the hero's journey in a group that i did for over a year with both men and women we met once a month going through the stages of campbell's hero's journey and what i came to realize is that it really didn't 
address some of the issues of the women in the group in particular. It didn't address the issues of the wounding of the feminine. So I started to develop the map or diagram of the heroine's journey. This was again late, late 70s, early 80s, during a time of the um, second wave of feminism, certainly in the United States, and also a, a big focus on feminine spirituality in the, in the early 80s. So long story short, I brought my diagram of the heroine's journey back to New York to meet with Mr. Campbell and showed it to him. And his famous retort was, Maureen, women don't need to make a journey. They're the place that everyone is trying to get to. And my experience both as a psychotherapist and as a teacher was that the women of my generation certainly were wanting to make a psycho-spiritual journey and were looking for guidelines. So, of course, what he meant was when he said the feminine is the place that everyone is trying to get to, I think what he meant mythologically that spirit is the place that everyone is trying to get to, but I was looking at it psychologically rather than mythologically. So that's the history of the diagram. And uh, you asked me to go through the stages briefly. Yeah, just 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 quickly. I mean, I, it could have been a, almost a compliment, of course, by from Campbell that you know women are actually the ones who are actually realised. <laughs> um, right, re- uh, but he, you know, he was a man of a certain age. Yes. So he. No, I, I get it. Yeah. yeah, he didn't really quite understand that. That uh, certainly, our my generation was. Um, overworked and really had no connection to their own feminine nature because we were all trying to make it out in a masculine defined world. But so in terms of going through the stages briefly, the first stage is the separation from the feminine. Mm -hmm. And I want to say that I wrote this from the perspective of a father's daughter meaning a woman who is closely identified with or idealizes the masculine or the father, which I think is true even for women who didn't idealize or their personal fathers. We were all fathers' daughters in relationship to the outward patriarchal masculine. So the first stage is a separation from the feminine which often occurs on a personal level if her daughter sees her mother as emotionally controlling, angry, illogical, passive, vulnerable, self-loathing, self-denigrating, and powerless, as some mothers of previous generations were who had no choice about career or childbearing or child-rearing and often felt lonely and abandoned by their husbands. And um, if the feminine is seen as negative, then lots of times 
the young girl will separate from those very positive uh, aspects of the feminine to get ahead. Second stage is the identification. Just one quick question. Um, sure. Does the fact that um, the, the heroine's journey involves the separation from the feminine or rejection of the feminine mean that for a woman to find it relevant and useful as a map, uh, they need to have had that relationship with their mother that was perhaps negative and rejecting of their mother and the feminine and a close or or a relationship with their father where they're very influenced by their father as a father's daughter. Not, Would that be not, necessary for yeah. the journey or, or not? No, no, definitely not. Because as I mentioned, the, the feminine in the culture has oftentimes been denigrated. So a lot of girls want to identify more with the masculine culture to yeah. get ahead. Yes. So, um, but it's particularly true, I think, probably more so um, 30 years ago than it is true now, because uh, the mothers of my generation, this was after World War II, who had worked out in the world during the war and then were basically forced into the home in the 50s and 60s, um, they lost their sense of power and oftentimes felt quite invisible. So I think when the feminine is seen, is equated with invisibility, the same issue occurs whether yeah. you, whether you've had a positive or negative relationship sure. yeah, with the mother. You. Yeah. So the second stage is the identification with the masculine, but it's not necessarily one's inner masculinity, it's the outer patriarchal masculine whose driving force is power. And I can say more about that um, later, if okay. you like, but if, if um, the young girl sees men in the male world as adult, she becomes identified with the inner masculine voice, whether that voice is the voice of her father, God the Father, or the patriarchal culture. And if you look at myths, like the myth of Demeter and Persephone, even when Persephone was abducted into the underworld, she, she called out to her father, Father Zeus, who had not raised her. She was raised by her mother as a single mother, but there is that archetypal calling out to the father for protection and for provision. Okay. Um, the, the, the next stage is finding the, elus the road of trials. And here what I was talking about was in the outer world, the task is on ego development, going through the hoops to achieve goals, whether those are academic, corporate, artistic, athletic, financial, relationship-oriented, etc. But the inner world was really looking at certain myths in our culture, the myth of dependency, the myth of female inferiority, and the myth of romantic love, and taking a deep look at those, which I can elaborate on if you like later. Okay. What, what, what happens here is 
um, the next stage, uh, the awakening to feelings of spiritual aridity, where um, the, the young girl feels like, okay, I did everything I was supposed to do. You know, I jumped through all those hoops. Why don't I feel better? Why don't I feel um, a sense of satisfaction? And I think, you know, this is not limited at all to girls. I think it's very true for males as well. You know, we go through all of these different goals to achieve and to fit in in the outer world. And then maybe what we've achieved doesn't really fit who we are, but we didn't stop long enough to find out what it was that would really feed our soul. So this stage, there's often a sense of loss. The next stage is the initiation and descent to the goddess. And here, uh, this is when people, men and women, often go through a, a sense of um, disillusion. And the task here, in a sense, is to reclaim the discarded or repressed parts of oneself that were split off in the original separation from the feminine. And what you find here is this might be a stage that clinically would be called a depression, but I really almost see it as a sacred journey to reclaim the parts of oneself that we split off from. And I see it as a period of creative waiting through the age of uh, despair for gestation to occur, which will lead us to the birth of an, a new consciousness on a higher level. The next stage is the urgent yearning to reconnect with the feminine. And I think particularly for women, it's a period of redefining for oneself, who am I as a woman? Um, beginning to listen to one's own intuition, to one's yearning for creativity, and maybe a yearning to reclaim connection to body, to sexuality. The next stage is healing the mother-daughter split. And what I meant here was to grow an internal mother, to become a good mother, to oneself if there has been a separation from one's own mother or daughter, really grieving that separation, seeing if it's possible to heal it and, and move on. Healing the wounded masculine is the next stage. And in that stage, I think it's really important, particularly for women, to take back the unrelated or wounded aspects of the masculine that we've projected onto the men in our life and identifying for ourselves what are the unrelated or wounded aspects of our own nature. And what I mean by that, like for myself, I have had a very strong internal driver because I had a father who, as the head of an ad agency, kind of worked around the clock. So I've really had to look at what propels me, and it is this driver that never lets me stop. 
um, that's not his fault. <laughs> that's what I've integrated. Yeah. And th this stage also is about developing a positive aspect of the masculine. Um, in other words, what, one of the positive aspects of, of the masculine is taking uh, an image and really actualizing it. The, the masculine is like the bridge to help one take a dream or an image and then actualize it in three-dimensionality. The last stage is the integration of masculine and feminine. And uh, I would say this is, you know, one of the most difficult stages to, to get to, or not to get to, but to really work on how do I balance my life? You know, how do I bring a balance to my internal life as well as my external life. And I think that that's something that we're doing throughout our lives. So anyway, that's a very quick rundown. Brilliant. Thank you, Maureen. I wonder actually, sure. just sort of, we end on the integration of masculine and feminine, but I just wondered before we start the journey for real, so to speak, whether it might be helpful just to clarify what you mean by the terms feminine and masculine. Because I know there's a sort of wider archetypal meaning to these terms than some people may be aware of. So in the context of the heroine's journey, what do we, what do we mean by feminine and masculine? Well, I did not mean just related to gender. Yeah. I meant that the feminine was about collaboration, creativity, curiosity, caring. And the masculine, in a sense, was more dynamic in terms of getting things done, competition, qualities like that. Yeah, so yeah. looking at those qualities uh, across a continuum within all people. Um, and sometimes what happens is that they get out of balance and they get distorted. So caretaking might become smothering. Um, competitive might be disregarding other people. Um, so really looking at these qualities in balance and then looking at these qualities right. out of balance. Okay, thank you. And yeah, you mentioned that the journey is also, while it's called the heroine's journey, it does actually apply to certain men or some men. I wonder what sort of quantity or portion of men have found this model useful? Well, in terms of Portion, I have no idea, but I'm always surprised and gratified when I'm giving a lecture or a reading. The men in the audience will raise their hand and say, you know, this is exactly the same parts of the journey that I've had to deal with. Um, so I, I think the same issue of putting, Campbell always talks about getting, putting your ladder up against the wrong wall, midlife, realizing, oh, this really isn't my journey. I took this to please my, for men. I took this to please either my father or my mother, and this does not feed my soul. So I would say in particular, you know, that very first part of the journey um, that where I hear from men and where men come into therapy, um, as well as women, 
is that stage of awakening to feeling of spiritual aridity and death and saying, okay, I did everything I was supposed to do. I became the lawyer, I became the doctor, but I've lost uh, a connection to myself. So when you say what percentage well, I don't know exactly. I just wondered, like, you know, what whether it's just the occasional man or whether it's actually a lot of men resonate with this model. Oh, I would say I would say a lot of men yeah. do. Yeah. I mean, I can certainly relate to that sense of you know working in London in agent you know, PR agencies and in my sort of twenties and you know that busyness of really sort of pushing oneself and burning out and then realizing, gosh, I you know I what's my soul calling for and then deciding I needed to sort of leave that world for a while and go off and search for myself and go on a bit of a spiritual journey and get more connected to find out who I was and um, and yeah, that whole yeah. process. And, and I'm being, you know, quite a sensitive person who would perhaps block some of that sensitivity uh, deliberately with sort of alcohol and, and, and recreational drugs and yeah, need to sort of unmask that and sort of yeah, actually get in touch with it again and, you know, and find someone that's more, perhaps more feminine qualities we associate with the feminine, like, you know, intuition and creativity and get in touch with that. So yeah, I, I very much relate to that, yeah. Yeah, and, and your word mask is so important because we wear these masks so that we can fit in and achieve in the outer world. And then inside there's that little boy or little girl that's saying, well, what happened to me? Um, and and I see that oftentimes in, in therapy that a woman will come in and say, you know, I was so connected to nature and so connected to my body and so connected to my creativity until about age nine. And then my whole focus became on achievement and I lost that part of myself. So I, I think that happens for both men and women. Yeah. Hi, this is Will here again. That bell was just to alert you that we're going to take a quick break so I can tell you about the different ways to listen to and engage with this podcast. I really hope you're enjoying this episode. For Series 2, I'm releasing episodes monthly on Wednesdays on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube, and all major podcast channels where you also can subscribe. Any ratings and reviews on Apple Podcasts would be greatly appreciated as they really help to let others know about Folio Blisters. And don't forget, we're spelling blisters with a double S on the bliss. To find out more about this podcast and the hero's journey, please head to my website, consciousfrontiers.com, where you can sign up to the monthly newsletter for news and updates and follow our social channels. Thanks for listening, and now let's get back to the journey. Okay, well, we've got a lot of ground to cover and, and not nearly enough time as we might like, so uh, let's keep <laughs> right. diving on through. So we're going to explore your lived experience of this heroine's journey model or map. Um, and are we going to explore a specific heroine's journey cycle from your life, or are you going to illustrate the stages with examples from different journeys that you've had? Well, you know, it's interesting. You you asked me to look at my own life in, in terms of the cycles. Yeah. And... Um, and it, it, you gave me an opportunity to think back, which I appreciate. Uh, I was a kid who went to Mass, um, I grew up Catholic, went to Mass every day from age 5 to 17. And um, I would say one of the big realizations I had in terms of this separation from the feminine 
when, when I went to Mass, I just assumed that by the time I was an adult, that um, girls would be able to become priests. And um, one day, I, I, you know, I really don't remember how old I was, all of a sudden it occurred to me that that was not going to happen. And oh, it really? Yeah, and it wasn't going to happen because I was in a female body. And that was shocking to me. Yeah, right. Um, so, you know, it, 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 that early, early split from the feminine, in a sense, was cultural. Um, that I wasn't good enough, I wasn't in the right body, and so I was not going to be able to say mass and um, wear, <laughs> wear the vestments, because of course everyone wants to have vestments like the priest. Um, the other thing on a personal level was that I had a, a mother who was very rigid, very perfectionistic, had an alcohol issue and was a very angry and uh, abusive. And so I didn't want to, I didn't want to be anything like her. No. Um, so there was that separation there. I might just sort of put a banner heading up because I don't think we actually officially said that we have started stage one, which is separation from the feminine. So yeah, just to put that in a, a banner context. Thank you. In terms of idealizing or identifying with the father, my dad was the head of a, a pharmaceutical ad agency. It was, um, and he was a self-made man. I don't even think he finished high school, but he and a buddy created this ad agency and it became the largest pharmaceutical ad agency in the world. So I started working with him in New York at age 13. And I looked around the agency at that time and there were only two women in positions of power or authority, the head of marketing and the secretary for the art department. And I think at that point, you know, as an adolescent, I made a decision that I was going to achieve. So I yeah. got a scholarship to college, eventually got a scholarship to graduate school. So there was, I, I, I didn't want to be anything like my mother. I wanted to be like my father. So um, that was very, very clear to me. Um, and he became heroic, in a sense, to me. When I was writing um, my subsequent book after The Heroine's Journey is a book called Father's Daughters, Breaking the Ties That Bind. Yes. I mean, it took me years to come to terms with the fact that I had projected these heroic qualities on him but he wasn't a very good father because he was never home. He was always working. But um, but I wanted to be like him. And when I was writing the book Father's Daughters, I realized I wanted to be him. So um, that was a big wake-up call. That's interesting. It was shocking to me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The next stage of the trials... So yeah, we're into identification with the masculine here, are we? Yeah. 
Well, we just finished identification with the masculine. So what parts of yourself did you think you closed off in your effort to identify with men or your father at this point? I I would say um, definitely my feelings and Mm. also my connection to my body, Um, you know, and, and that's been an issue for me all the way through the journey, uh, this non-connection to my body so that, you know, it's difficult for me to accept when I'm sick or when I'm injured, you know, I kind of treat the body like, you know, it's my servant. So um, I, I would say that came came out of an over-identification with my father as well. Yeah. So into the road of trials. The road of trials. Well, this stage is where the heroine, in this case yourself, meets challenges and faces adversaries and also builds resources and strengths, much as in the hero's journey. And what, what sort of dragons and challenges do you think you met along the way as you headed out in search of success? Well, I didn't get out into the world because I got pregnant when I was 21. I remember reading about that. Your mother was not impressed at all, was she, about that? (laughs) No, my mother was so upset that I came home pregnant out of wedlock that she would not allow me to get married. We lived in New Jersey. She would not allow me to get married in New Jersey. She was so filled with shame. So uh, my, my... Former husband and I got married in a small church in New York. So, I mean, talk about uh, the disregard of the female body. I mean, mm. she she expressed her abhorrence of sexuality by by saying, "Okay, you can't get married in the in the local um, church." She actually asked the uh, local priest to exercise me that's right Um, yeah yeah that's pretty extreme it was extreme (laughs) (laughs) luckily he said no (laughs) so thank um, thank god yeah exactly um but you know the the other thing about the trials that i write about is this uh, myth about inferiority or deficit thinking that um, that just being born in a female body is not good enough. It's interesting, when I was reading Michelle Obama's memoir called Becoming, Mm. she talked about the constant need for A's, you know, to get A's in life. And I think for a lot of women, uh, that's how we feel. We're always trying to catch up, you know, if I get an A maybe I'll be equal to or I'll be enough. So I think I was going through, certainly going through those feelings. Mm. And in terms of the myth of romantic love, you know, women have been trained to put the male first. So I had gotten a full fellowship to the University of Virginia to go to for graduate school, but my husband-to-be did not get into University of Virginia. So instead, we, yeah, we went to University of Pennsylvania where he did get in. So I just kind of, you know, 
blithely let go of that fellowship because I had been trained. Prioritize your husband, yeah. Yes, absolutely. So I I would say that was part of the trials. Yeah, Um, yeah. And there's the myth of dependency as well, you mentioned, confronting the myth of dependency. Right, right, right. And it's really dependency for approval. I think probably women more than men have a, a difficult time feeling satisfied with their own achievements. So, you know, it's, it's like we're we're always looking for more approval. Mm. The the next stage of spiritual aridity, my former husband and um, I... Uh, we, we've, we skipped the illusory boon of success, haven't we? Well, finding the boon of success, I was just in a sense talking about that in terms of not feeling a sense of satisfaction with the successes that we have. Even for me, disregarding the fellowship to... University of Virginia was like, oh, okay, I achieved this, but since I have to support my husband, I, I'll just let that go. Yeah. You know, it's, yeah. Okay, so let's go into the next one, yeah. Awakening to feelings of spiritual aridity. This happened for me after we moved to Los Angeles. My ex and I divorced in 78, and I went back to graduate teaching full-time. I began to study with Jean Houston, with Joseph Campbell. I, was a, I became a therapist. I really yearned for a connection to, to spirit. And that was when I started to read about goddesses of all different cultures and felt a a deep connection to them because I mentioned to you that in the initial separation from the feminine, going to Mass every day, I would always kneel in front of Mary. I think I was looking for the good mother, but that... A connection to the sacred feminine has always been uh, deep-seated in me. So the sense of spiritual aridity led me to start to study about the goddess and to start to do art about the goddess. I did a photo show. I'm a black-and-white photographer. I did a photo show called Changing Woman, Contemporary Faces of the Goddess, where I was interviewing and photographing women who really felt like their life and their work was in service of feminine spirituality. And uh, some of those images are on my uh, website. Great. Um, the ne- yeah, the, the next phase, the initiation and descent to the goddess... I had a severe concussion in 1994. I had a bad fall. And um, I would say during that time, I went through a a real descent, um, you know, starting to connect with the feelings that I had split off from early on, the anger, um, the disconnection, to my body, um, a, a real sense of, of rage, yeah. really, and sadness and loss and exhaustion, just total exhaustion. 
I was uh, at this point a single mother, and so raising my kids as well as working full time and writing, because at that time I was writing Fathers, Daughters, I was totally disconnected from my body. It took me over a year to heal from that concussion and to, in a sense, put <laughs> put myself back together again. Mm. Um, and I was also at that time doing workshops on, on the heroine's journey. I was really privileged to do workshops all over in New York, in Amsterdam, in Barcelona, in Ireland, in Chicago, in Minneapolis, in Santa Fe, Taos, in Abiquiu, Mexico City, Bali. Anyway, I was taking this work out on, on the road, but oftentimes just feeling exhausted. I just came back from doing a heroine's journey workshop with 55 women in Santa Fe, and it's the first time I've done something like this in the last couple of years because of yeah. COVID. And I just, uh, this kind of bleeds into the urgent yearning to reconnect with the feminine. What I, what I noticed was these women were so excited to be together, to, to be with other women, to, to share this journey. I was very, very touched by that. But I think that for so many of us, there is that deep, deep yearning to reconnect with our feminine nature. So the next stage is the healing. I'm jumping ahead, Will, because I'm aware of the yeah, time. Yeah, absolutely, I am too. I sort of wanted to ask my usual questions, but I'm sort of realizing that if I do, we're not going to make it through. <laughs> so I'll let you carry on for a moment. <laughs> okay, I can do this very briefly. And you asked me whether there was any healing with my own mother. And this phase of healing the mother-daughter split, as I mentioned before, is very much about becoming a good mother to yourself. I think you mentioned in the book that you hadn't healed that split. Right. And I wondered 30, no. years, 30 years later whether you actually managed to do that. Yes. Yeah. 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 Th thank you for that question. It really came at my mother's death. I think as, you know, the little girl inside me um, always wanted my mother to apologize for the way that she treated uh, myself and my sister. And at her deathbed, um, I, you know, I was looking at her. First of all, she had Alzheimer's, so she wasn't completely, um, she, she wasn't cognizant. But I found myself saying, Mom, I'm so sorry we had such a difficult relationship. And I was shocked. I was shocked that those words came out of my mouth because the little girl inside me wanted her to say, I'm mm. sorry. But, I, you know, I realized in that moment she was a woman of her generation. She did the best she could. Yeah. I think she really had a mental illness or else she wouldn't have been so angry all the time. Mm. But that that was healing for me. That was very healing. The yeah. other thing I, I think that's healing for so many women is having children 
and having grandchildren and being able to mother them in ways that uh, we weren't mothered. So, yes. I mean, that's that's a whole, whole long topic. Yeah. Um, healing the wounded masculine. Um, I don't know whether you know that I've been uh, doing volunteer work in prisons no. with the yeah with the Alternatives to Violence Project since 2012, and uh, I would say that's been extraordinarily healing for me to to be with these men who, you know, are the outcasts of society and seeing their dignity and seeing their compassion for themselves, for the mistakes that they've made, compassion for each other, and their deep desire to learn how to communicate so that when they go back into society, they can be better men and better fathers. So that's in in some ways that's been very healing for me as well. Mm, I bet um, it has. Yeah, I mean, I've actually also. I mean, I, I I've been doing some work um, with a charity called Key for Life that rehabilitates ex offenders. Oh. And uh, okay. helps them to turn their lives around and get them back into work and so on. It's been fascinating, and it's always so interesting to hear these men's stories and and see how they can really turn everything around. It's incredible. There's actually a book called yeah. The Outlaw's Journey. Have you come across The Outlaw's Journey? Oh, I don't know it. It's a lady, I forget the lady's name. It's Gloria, I think, something. But she wrote the book to, she was doing, doing writing workshops in prison, helping prisoners to work with the hero's journey. And oh, she, I love she, it. She wrote a book called The Outlaw's Journey as a kind of guide to that process. So it might be worth checking that out if you're working in that way. Yeah. Yeah, I appreciate that. Yeah, one of the things that I've loved in working with the men because as you know, it might not be, well, no, I'm sure it's, it also exists where you are. There is such separation of the races in prison. Yes. Um, so for here, there's a big separation between the Latinos and the African-Americans. And one thing I've noticed in doing this work is the desire of the men to, in a sense, reach across the aisle, you know, and, and, and say to each other, you and I are not that much different. Our skin color might uh, be different, but deep down inside, we're the same, and we all have the same goals to heal the trauma that they've all experienced and and to be better men yeah. and th that has been so touching yeah that to me. sounds amazing we got five minutes left so we better <laughs> keep pushing on through unfortunately there's lots i want to ask well, you it's, it's kind of annoying but um no. there we go yeah i i understand you're, you're going to ask me about the balance of masculine and feminine and well that's I'm the next stage isn't it yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's, I think we're all trying to do that, to find balance in our lives. And for myself yeah, so personally... We're in the last stage, integration uh, of masculine and feminine. Right. Yeah. I'm really trying to focus on no longer being driven to achieve. So, I mean, that's the, for me, the, the wounded masculine. And in terms of the 
wounded fem feminine, I would like to be able to create without a product in mind. I mean, I know these are very tiny and very specific, mm -hmm. but but those are the things that I grapple with. Um, you know, going back to my father, when I was five years, he was an artist. And when I was five years old, I was looking out the window at this one particular tree and trying to draw it and um, having a hard time figuring out how to attach the limbs to the trunk. And I said to him, will you teach me how to draw a tree? And he looked at me and he said, you either have it or you don't, which was just, I mean, can you imagine saying that to a five-year-old? But I think wow. what I took from that was, okay, I didn't have it. So, um, you know, my whole life has been trying to have the talent that he basically said, you either have it or you don't. Uh, which has really interfered with my enjoyment of creativity, my enjoyment yeah. of pa painting. I get that so, completely, yeah. Yeah, so I would say these are the things I'm still working on, letting go of the drive to achieve and learning how to play. Yes, okay. Yeah. So a quick one, just to round off this integration, masculine and feminine, you mentioned that um, with that integration becomes the awareness of interdependence. And, and you mentioned that this is very important at, the, at this time when we are facing climate change and the earth being out of balance. How important is this integration of masculine and feminine for preserving the earth? You know what? I, I want to read you something, if, if you wouldn't mind, because I would say this is the answer to your question. Okay. And, it, and it comes out of the Navajo creation story in which changing woman speaks to her consort, the sun. And she says, and this is about integration. Remember, as different as we are, you and I, we are of one spirit as dissimilar as we are you and I, we are of equal worth, as unlike as you and I are, there must always be solidarity between the two of us, unlike each other as you and I are. There can be no harmony in the universe as long as there is no harmony between us. If there is to be such harmony, my requests must matter to you. My needs are as important to me as yours are to you. My whims count as much as yours do. My fidelity to you is measured by your loyalty to me. My response to your needs is to reflect the way you respond to mine. There is to be nothing more coming from me to you than there is from you to me. There is to be nothing less. I mean, I think that is so beautiful because it does speak to the interdependence of, of all, you know, unless we realize that, as she says to the sun, uh, we are of one spirit. If, if we don't come to terms with that, we are destroying the earth. And that's the denigration of the feminine because we're not giving the respect that we need to to Mother Earth. Thank you very much for that. That's a beautiful and pertinent way to finish. 
<laughs> and I just want to mention briefly, Maureen, before you go, that you're, you're obviously doing uh, workshops now. In, I say obviously, but you're doing workshops in programs in memoir writing, presumably working with the heroine's journey um, in some shape right. or form with that. And so that's what you're doing. You've also got a, a heroine's journey workbook as well to accompany the main book to help women support, be supported on their journeys. And you've got various other books and things that uh, can all be found on your website. It right. is Maureen Murdoch. Murdoch with a O-C-K on the end, dot com. Maureen Murdoch.com. That's right. That's right. Anything to finish off with, Maureen, you want to add on to that or are we good to go? <laughs> well, I just want to mention I'm working on a book that right now is entitled Memoirists as Contemporary Mythmakers because I think that the whole genre of Lovely. memoir is our contemporary myths. We're looking at the same domains of memoir as we do with myth, which is who am I, what's my tribe, what's my journey, and what's my purpose. So hopefully that book will be out in the next year or so. And Will, thank you. Thank you for this time to talk about the heroine's journey. Thank I you. I really appreciate yeah, thank it. You. Thank you for your time and for your sharing your experience of and, and feminine wisdom and, <laughs> and, and, and mythical wisdom. So thank you so much. And uh, yeah, best of luck with all you're doing. And yeah, there's so many things I'd like to have asked you that we haven't had time to because we were a little cut short for time. But uh, yeah, right. perhaps we'll catch up another time. Okay, well, have a thank great you. day. Good luck Good with luck. your with your teaching now. Thank you very much. Less blessings to you. You too. Much love. Bye bye. Bye bye. Thank you for listening to this episode of Folio Blisters, produced in association with Conscious Frontiers. I'd like to say a big heartfelt thank you to Isaac Nichols for editing this podcast series, to Michael Tyak for the music, and to our wonderful partners, which include. The Trailblazing New Consciousness magazines, Resurgence and Ecologist and Kindred Spirit, the UK's Frontier Restorative Festival, Medicine Festival, and here in Glastonbury, the vibrant Redbrick Community Enterprise Hub and also GFM Radio, who've kindly lent us their recording studios. Finally, if you have any friends or family who you think would enjoy and benefit from this podcast, please do spread the word and send positive ripples out into the world. Thanks a million. <laughs>